stay in school no matter what kind of monster you turn into. So you're just pulling a Hannibal Lecter on it, just like putting Colton Haynes' face over your face? Pretty much. And as we have well established, the Hales have a great love of all things dramatique. Better than haha, you have a dead family. Oh, we go in on this show. <laughs> <laughs> just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Wallace, and I'm joined by... Calissa Mullis. And Kate Colvin. Every week we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time, and this week we're talking about season two, episode eight, Raving. And this week we have a very special co-host, Paul Ray from the Teen Wolf Wiki. Paul, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure, yeah. I ended up in Teen Wolf for all eternity through an error actually. <laughs> um, it's it's a good story. I mean, I know Edie, who played Victoria Argent. I was on a television show with her while I was in college, and then we were on radio together for about a year after that. I stumbled on the wiki because I was helping her establish some online presence before the show debuted, and I was so shocked by the amount of bad grammar and false <laughs> information on the wiki <laughs> that I started editing a few things, and the next thing you know, it's 10 years and 30,000 edits later. So, but I... <laughs> I actually, what was neat about it was I liked the show. Usually when Edie's on something, I have to go, oh yeah, that was great. That was really good. In, in this instance, it was I was surprised. I mean, it, it, I think it's the first solid example of peak television reaching that young adult realm. I mean, Buffy was that too and Veronica Mars, but they were saddled with networks that didn't know what to do with them. So it was like Teen Wolf came along at the exact right moment and was that quirky, crazy, nutty kind of thing that it needed to be to really capture that that uh, that cable audience that was growing so big at that point. So, but anyway, I started reporting on Teen Wolf at that point for various websites. Most of those sites are now defunct, which is kind of sad. Uh, that reporting often got me in trouble with Matt from MTV. He tried to get me fired a couple of times, which was fun. But... Um, <laughs> It also led me to meet Jeff at a Comic-Con in 2015, and we've been kind of close ever since. I mean, we talk like once a month. So it's it's huh. been it's been a really good experience for me. And now I just kind of do the Teen Wolf YouTube thing and maintain the encyclopedia of Teen Wolf canon for posterity. That's awesome. That's very cool. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, alpha and beta. The beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. Raving was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Russell Mulcahy. With the exception of Danny, who shockingly can't get a date, and Lydia, who's still MIA, 
everyone's path converges at a warehouse rave in the industrial sector of Beacon Hills. Allison accompanies Matt in an attempt to throw suspicion away from her and Scott's relationship, but her plan with the hunters clashes with that of Scott and his allies. Styles creates a supernatural barrier and along with Isaac and Erica interrogates the Kanama master via an entranced Jackson. Derek and Boyd fight with Chris and his crew and amid the chaos, the Kanama commits another murder, which troubles everyone except Gerard. Stalinsky continues trying to investigate the murders despite being forced out of the sheriff's office in the aftermath of Jackson's kidnapping. Derek saves Scott from a murderous Victoria, but the fight has unforeseen consequences that will change everything. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I was going to do the dun, dun, dun. Our favorite quote from this episode comes from Chris as he faces off with Derek. He tells Derek, didn't anyone ever tell you not to bring claws to a gunfight? Very dramatic. Nice. It's better than, haha, you have a dead family. I mean, yeah, there is that. Oh, oh we go in on this show. <laughs> Our honorable mention is an exchange between Styles and Coach Finstock as Coach tries to ask Styles when he last saw Jackson, who is missing practice. Styles says, Sorry, Coach, I haven't seen him since the last time I saw him. Coach Finstock says, Oh, and when was that? Styles replies with, Last time I saw him was definitely the last time I saw him last. <laughs> a very Styles answer. Very it's Styles. Also, it's a very the bigger they are kind of quote. <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. Pretty much any interaction with Coach Finstock is going to give you gold or cream cheese. Um, I actually, this is one of my favorite episodes. Excellent. And it awesome. starts off with Jackson. After getting a message on his phone, Jackson is in one of those wonderful trances that he does, and he heads to a warehouse. In the scene where he's actually getting into his car, you can see the camera and Dolly reflected in the door. <laughs> Y'all should have like a bell to ring every time there's a production gaff like Ooh. that. I mean, seriously. But I think it's just because Russell loves his car. He does. And he wanted he to get that. He wanted to get that rolling close up of the car. And it needs to be so shiny. You can see your face in it. Exactly. exactly. And the whole crew. <laughs> and the whole crew. Yeah. Every time that production gas bell rings, like a, a, a PA loses their wings. So. Oh, <laughs> rough. <laughs> I'm very confused by the timeline of events. Was Jackson just in the middle of class when he got this text? Why is it night when he then gets to the warehouse? I don't know. It's weird because in the previous episode, he monstered out, caused a lot of property damage in the library and then escaped out a window. But then at the beginning of this episode, it's just like, no, I'm here for economics class. <laughs> the lesson here is, and Jackson is a role model, stay in school no matter what kind of monster you turn into. That's, that's right. Yeah. And at like this school education. anyway, the, the bar of normalcy has fallen to basically the ground. So it's just yeah. kind of like, yeah, I turn into a wear lizard, but it's it's time to, to take a pop quiz. There's actually a lot of uh, changes from script to screen mm -hmm. in this episode. Uh, I, I touch along a couple of them as we went along the way. Nice. Sure. And for the teaser, it actually has, it starts with him opening his locker and a note falls out. And uh, there's an unseen message on that. And he just throws away the note. Then he gets the text messages and he actually starts replying to it, which we, again, don't actually get any sort of reply. Mm. He just kind of goes into like trance mode. So I thought that was interesting. And it, in the car, he pulls up the navigation system and starts like putting an address in from the text. 
So does the note just say, will you kill for me? Circle yes or no? (laughs) (laughs) See, I I always just thought, and I always just thought that the, um, the master and the canima like communicated mentally. I just thought it was like, I want these people dead. And the canima went and did it. But apparently there's some sort of AT&T contact (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yes. Well, in the, in the previous episode, we get, jackson like shelving books and the book covers change and all this so there's like some something going on but it's like that is is telepathic and then this one he speaks through yeah right Right. yeah exactly exactly so i I think i actually think the text was a you up text (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was just it was just snake emoji knife emoji and plant emoji (laughs) yeah it does actually uh once he gets to the warehouse it does actually show uh, a new text message that has like take the northwest door left to stairs down two flights. So he gets like very specific instructions. Wait a minute, I forgot. It's a secret party. You had to wait for the invitation. You had to wait to get the information. Oh right, Matt says it's a secret party. It just yeah. dumped on me. Yeah, just because otherwise everybody would go. That's true. Right. But you have to get the tickets first. So if they were first showing up to get the tickets. Maybe they were just like trying to read out all of Scott McCall's who can't afford $75. Yeah. Inside, there's a line of people waiting to get tickets. Matt allows Jackson to cut in front of him, afraid Jackson might punch him again. Scott watches at a distance as he follows Jackson. Yeah, the, the punch thing is weird. Is, is that how Matt remembers what happened? Yeah, that was in the library, right? I mean, that was last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you gotta. Yeah, there was more to it than a punch, brother. <laughs> yeah, it was like all over the place, but yeah. In the script, it also has uh, Matt noticing Scott stalking Jackson, basically like watching him from the shadows. He's like, "You're not subtle, dude. Come on." <laughs> well, not only that, but that would have put Matt way too on the ball at this point. And we, I mean, I, I thought that interaction with Jackson was great for like red herring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was fantastic. So yeah, that was good. I feel like I was a little annoyed that like we had Matt with the camera thing and then it's just like dropped for an episode because yeah. oh, yeah. the lens flare thing. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of that happened. Oh, they do, they, they do I that a lot. forgot they had done that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that was a big thing and then it's just like, yeah. but that's not brought up for an episode yeah yeah Please. it, it they it, when they're i guess can speak to this but when you're breaking the story you have all these beats you want to hit and sometimes they land in the same episodes and sometimes they skip an episode i guess i mean that does happen sometimes the episode is too big and you got to shuffle some stuff around but yeah i mean it's and and but but for those of us experiencing it for the first time it can be very jarring we're like what happened to the camera Speaking of Jackson's sex tape, as an ardent fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I must ask, what would be the title of Jackson's sex tape? Me, me, me. <laughs> um, Swallow the Snake. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty yeah, that's good. good one. That is yeah, a good one. Nailed it. While having dinner with Styles, Sheriff Stalinsky reveals that he has found a connection between all of the recent victims outside of Mr. Leahy. They're all 24 years old and taught by Mr. Harris when they went to high school. While Mr. Leahy doesn't fit the pattern, it turns out he did have another son, 
Isaac's older brother, who would have been 24 if he hadn't died in combat. I just want to say real quickly that I love Styles' monster hoodie in this scene. It's very cute, and it's one of the pieces that I've wanted but haven't been able to get my hands on. Also, Steric fans really took the if once an incident quote as their own, especially going into season three because they expected another episode like Magic Bullet and then Abomination where it was going to be Styles and Derek the entire time. Yeah. But it's what 304 does not do that. That's nope. a yeah. little flash forward. It, it does not do that. Steric fans. But we moderate, were moderate very hopeful for one season. Yeah. <laughs> I find it strange that they're all exactly 24 years old at this point in time. Yeah. You don't actually have to be the same age to be in the same class. And I'm not sure if they knew that. <laughs> like if it was that case, there'd be no dispute as to when Styles actually turned 18 and there'd be no hate on this Derek relationship. This is our first instance of any character outside of Derek Hale having mention of a sibling, even a dead sibling. Huh. They are all only children in Beacon Hills. Yep. And, and it shows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really love it when Sheriff and Styles work together as a team and I could take a whole spin-off of them like working together. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Law and Claus. <laughs> Law and order. One of the videos that I did, I I pitched Jeff spin-offs nice. of Teen Wolf to to launch and the one that I left out of that video but I put in another video was the family comedy with Lydia and Styles and Grandpa living with them. You know, I can't decide if Jeff was brilliant or just got really lucky with the casting on this show. The natural chemistry between Lyndon and Dylan is incredible. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and the, and the fact Absolutely. that Lyndon actually loves that kid. I mean, and it shows on screen. I just love them together. Absolutely. Yeah, they're great. And speaking of chemistry, is it really all that surprising that all the victims had Mr. Harris for chemistry? I mean, <laughs> I... The high school's not that big. They probably only have one chemistry teacher. Like I was like, I know that's the only teacher you ever want to show in class, but like they probably all had the same junior junior level English teacher or yeah, like US history teacher. Yeah. Like Scott tries to buy a ticket to the rave, but they cost $75 and Matt refuses to lend him the money for some reason. Jackson buys a ticket and his behavior alarms the ticket seller. She leaves after selling him his ticket. Scott seems so shocked that him just asking Matt for money didn't work. He does. He's like, man, what? You don't want to lend me money? I don't... Yeah, it, it, the, the, the look on his face was priceless. It was good. Those were like, his extreme puppy dog eyes. He thought yeah. they would work. Yeah. But you know, Matt was just over there thinking, like, what does Allison see in this broke bitch? Like, he can't <laughs> even come up with, like, $75. Right? He takes oh, her to get, like, a hot dog for a date. Like, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm really distracted by the guy in the background wearing a visor backwards. Uh, he's a time traveler from 1994. Now, guys, I can attest from personal experience that that particular fashion choice is considered timeless <laughs> by a certain faction of the population here in Northeast Georgia. So let's keep in mind it was filmed in Atlanta. So that was what they were wearing. Gotcha. So gotcha. do those people get their conception of time from Teen Wolf then? It's just a it's just a, a self-repeating prophecy or yeah, exactly. A, a, oh yeah. Oh a loop. I seen it on TV. It's cool. <laughs> There's actually some very extreme looks for the rave that I was not feeling. <laughs> This was a cable budget in Atlanta, Georgia. Those people brought their own clothes from home. Oh, yeah. There's no way we were going to dress them all. Yeah, that was not anybody's fault. It was not the wardrobe department's fault. No. 
That like, was just bring wacky clothes you'd wear to a rave. Yep, that's it. When we were extras, we we brought our own clothes too. Yeah. So I love the robotic controlled Jackson. Colton does a great job with it when he's under the Canama's influence. That whole Colton half Canama stuff is some of the best performance I've I've seen out of him to date. I mean, he is torn up and fully immersed in that character. Oh yeah, you, it's you, wonderful. You feel everything that guy's going through. It, it's an amazing performance all the way around. But I love the. I'm I'm, I'm with you. I love the zombie stuff. Fantastic. Yeah, the 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 scene where the cannon master is speaking through him. The way he moves, it's like someone's hand is in his back, like dead silence style. Someone is moving him around like a yeah. meat puppet. It's so wonderful to watch. Yeah, it's great. Chris takes Allison to the morgue and forces her to look at the recent victims of the Canama. Take your daughter to work day. Yeah. He reminds her <laughs> that their knowledge of the supernatural makes them responsible for keeping people safe. He demands that she tell him who controls the Canama. I don't feel like we really need the flashbacks here of the Canama deaths. Yeah. That long ago. I don't know. Never overestimate the attention span of your audience because it's always going to be shorter than you think. That's yeah. true, but Teen Wolf is always struggling. Those were a few precious seconds we could have had for styles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you guys think Chris bought his murder gloves at the same place that Derek bought his? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They, they probably ran into each other on the aisle. You know, they both reach for the same pair. It's very awkward, but I, I really would have liked to have seen it. They they probably tried to intimidate each other while glove shopping because as we know, Teen Wolf has some of the most delicious weirdo intimidation attempts. Case in point, clean your adversary's car. Other case in point, carry a dessert next to your adversary. There are lots of, of wacky ways on Teen Wolf to express your animosity towards someone in a way that is unexpected to see. Yeah, Chris least. probably took him off the rack and said, here, let me buy these for you. Oh. And then took him to the register, <laughs> paid for him, keep the change. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, he's, and was, the cashier was like, damn. <laughs> damn he's got all that Argent Armory money, so. Yeah, True. there you go. But at least there's no bad touching when it comes to Chris interrogating Allison like so many others in that family. Yeah. Not, not only that, but at least there's, there's, I mean, they didn't do the gas station kidnapping this time. It's like, ev <laughs> yes. it's like every time Chris wants to make like a, a teaching moment for his kids, he has to hire thugs. It's like the weirdest parenting style. I don't, I don't get it. I know people really give Derek a lot of, a lot of flack for how he goes about trying to teach Scott, but Derek is like a 20 year old orphan filled with like rage and general confusion chris is like an adult ass man with a stable family and he's like i know i i got it i'm gonna have a stranger throw her into a car that'll do it that'll do it you meant a stable family right <laughs> so i mean uh, come on i can't see your quotes yeah. yeah. Well, you know, everybody's everybody's like that. Everybody's uh, family is always much worse on the inside than they are on the outside. Derek brings Isaac along as he meets Scott at the vet clinic. Deaton asks if they plan to kill Jackson or save him. Derek wants to kill him, but Scott insists that they save him. The only reason Derek wants to kill Jackson is because he's met him. <laughs> I also like in this scene, and it's a, it's it's either just gone on or it's coming up. The um, Derek being the mom and slapping Isaac's hand out of the way. <laughs> I do like, like that. I love. Yeah, that. it's good. 
<laughs> don't touch the wizard jars. It's it's good. It's good. See, again, this is why this show is still popular. Yeah, absolutely. This is why we're sitting around talking and enjoying this. It's because of these memorable moments that seem silly at the time, but it just runs through it. And it's yeah. so good. It's so yeah. such quirk. The, char the character like, moments. They discuss any weaknesses that Kanima has, and Derek points out that it didn't seem able to swim. Scott points out the same isn't true for Jackson. He's captain of the swim team. Deaton theorizes perhaps it is the person that controls the Kanima that fears water, and the bond between them causes the Kanima to fear water as well. I don't really understand Deaton's demonstration here. It doesn't really feel like it was needed to get to the point. I just kept waiting for more to happen. I was waiting for like, I don't know, a little thing, like a poof of smoke to go. <laughs> I don't know. I was waiting for something more. He lacks yeah. the Hale's visual flair. Oh. <laughs> right. it, it, he is just like, he's just like, maybe the Kanima's master has a fear of water. Look at this coin in close up. Does it have anything to do with this scene? It does not. Back into pocket. You know, it, it's just like misdirection. Like, <laughs> ah. He took that David Blaine close-up magic course at the learning <laughs> annex. <laughs> God yeah, use the flare. Yeah. Uh -huh. Team will fandom will take a little bitty piece of information. Mm -hmm and just run with it to the point where they want an entire flashback episode and, and every single minute detail of that little piece of information. And in this case, it's Scott giving that little background on Jackson's parents. Yeah. That little bit of background, people have written so much about Jackson's parents based off that and a later scene that yeah. we had. It, it just, it, it, it amazes me. Again, it, it's, I think it's the sign of a good show, but then again, this is the only fandom that I'm oh, immersed yeah. in. So other fandoms may do the same nutty stuff. I it, it's, it's the sign of a good show. Definitely is. Scott thinks that maybe if they do something to the Kanima, it will affect the master as well, and they'll be able to catch them both. Yeah, they really start talking like they know this is the case, <laughs> but it's more of a hypothesis. Now, I, I know that Scott has skipped every chemistry class he's ever been asked to attend, but I don't think he fully understands the difference between a hypothesis and a conclusion. Yeah. Matt wonders why no one was suspended after the events at the library where he was knocked unconscious. Style says it doesn't matter. No one got hurt. And Matt reminds him he did get a concussion. Styles again points out to Scott that he does not like Matt. I actually meant to put that exchange as one of my honorable mentions because I just love that so much. He's like, you know how much your problem means to me? Your little head bump means to me. <laughs> like, it's just so fun. But it's good. I just want to say, I love Styles. I love him so much. Yeah, yeah I mean, his, his being demonstrative there and showing how not a big deal Matt's trip to the ER was is priceless. So funny. Yeah. So good. Well, this is Styles. He does everything with a full body range of motion. Oh, my so, God. including flailing, eating, speaking. So how, again, how look, Jeff must have been so good in a former life <laughs> to get this cast. Yeah. I mean, the, the discovery of Dylan O'Brien alone should put him in some sort of hall of fame. Absolutely. But that okay. guy, I mean, he, he's just so good. Ugh, just so good. I do want to say that I, I do enjoy how they had it in the script that Matt points out how nuts everything is in this school. <laughs> Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I love that because it's it's kind of like how they went out of their way to involve the parents because a lot of teen shows don't do that. Mm -hmm. 
they don't put the parents in there and, and cause and let that cause some stress too. Yeah. It's kind of like that. I love that he brought up the fact that it's nuts that everybody just cleans up the mess and moves on. Well, if you hang a lantern on it, you don't have to think about it. So it's just <laughs> call out the crazy and move, it, it's move on. It's true. It's true. But I, again, I, I think a lot of people just kind of gloss over those or make it a tiny lantern. This was a big lantern. <laughs> yeah. Coach wonders why Jackson isn't at Praxis, and Styles gives his epic, suspicious answer, <laughs> while Danny just agrees to let Coach know if he hears from Jackson. Styles tries to get Danny's tickets to the rave, but he refuses. Isaac wonders aloud how Scott and Styles can even survive. See, this is why Danny is Coach's favorite. Like Styles does this long evasive answer when he could have just been like i don't know where he is but danny's like oh sure coach <laughs> fitzhawk's like there yeah that's all i wanted yes coach i feel like isaac coming up behind scott and styles and addressing them is like another instance of the whole like hey testicle left and right <laughs> yeah <laughs> isaac got cocky really quickly yeah yeah and 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 became a very touchy feely sort of wolfie and i wonder if that's like that must be really interesting living with Derek because he don't like, like the touchy feel you know I I went off on the whole 2006 yearbook timeline problem but the truly most unrealistic thing in this entire episode is the fact Danny can't get a date yeah strong agree I'm, yeah yeah, I hear it. yeah. I, oh by the way they did Danny dirty <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say about that so Isaac roughs up someone else on the lacrosse team to get two tickets to give to Scott and Styles. Yeah, Isaac is a sarcastic little shit at this point in the show. But you know what? He's Derek's baby sarcastic little shit. And yep. Derek is also a sarcastic shit, just a little bit more grown. A grown sarcastic <laughs> shit. A grown <laughs> sarcastic shit. I love the oh, way well. they do this, though, with Isaac. Like, we are just watching Styles and Scott's reaction, like, hearing the sounds of Isaac like, like, oh, beating oh, these oh, people up. Oh, yeah. God, oh. It was great. <laughs> So good. Yeah, that's another example of you don't don't you don't necessarily have to show it, show right. reaction, and you get just the same effect or yeah. better effect. Right. Or yeah. better, yeah. Yeah, it's better. Allison and Scott sneak off to an empty classroom to talk. She tells Scott about her encounter with her father, and Scott shares what happened with Victoria when she intimidated him with the pencil sharpener. Oh, the pencil sharpener. I forgot about that when I was listing Teen Wolf's hilarious intimidation tactics, uh, <laughs> yes. angrily sharpening pencils. But yeah. Um, yeah, watching the scene, I was just going, Scott, let a bitch finish. Let <laughs> a bitch finish. Yeah. <laughs> this lack of communication isn't going to come back and bite him in the ass later. No way. Nope. No way at all. <laughs> Not at all. I do love how he's trying to explain to Allison, though, like, no, you don't get it. The pencil was my penis. It's a metaphor. I think <laughs> I'm feeling English. <laughs> what what he doesn't mention is like the three boxes of pencils she had to sharpen down so that she could get the point through to him because <laughs> our boy's thick. So <laughs> yeah. With two C's. No, no shade. No shade, Scott. Two C's. Bootylicious. <laughs> Apparently, some parts aren't thick because they could use a pencil, but that's... Hey! Oh. Good one. Allison informs Scott that she's supposed to hang out with Matt, and he encourages her to go, so they're seen with other people. He tells her to make a big deal out of it and even kiss Matt if she has to. She kisses Scott as Victoria watches through the door with pure rage in her eyes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Scott should have also offered to kiss Matt in front of Victoria just to make it even. <laughs> yeah. 
No, completely throw her off the scent. Scat speak. Yes. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Scent. Uh, and then Scott should have just told her to do a grandma kiss, though, after the demonstration, you know, peck on the lips, give him some jello, like, send him to bed <laughs> at 8 p.m. <laughs> and this is such an extreme look from Victoria. We are all going to turn to stone looking at this. It is <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, Victoria seems like someone who wouldn't blink for 20 minutes. She would just stare you down. Yeah. Look, having known Edie and worked with Edie, I can tell you she has used that exact same look in real life before and since this scene. <laughs> that is so 100% pure Edie. I don't even think it was in the script. I think they just said, <laughs> yeah, you need to look a little upset here. She wasn't even in that scene originally. She was just standing there <laughs> watching them film. And Russell or someone was like, get, get the camera. Get the camera right now. You know, and... <laughs> or they're filming, they're like, sorry, who is there? Is there someone through the door? Oh, God. Oh, 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 oh. I actually include what the uh, line in the script was because I found it really funny. Yeah. So it says, when Victoria catches them kissing, it says she does not look pleased, does not look pleased at all. But then after she hits Scott with her car later in the episode, it says, Victoria Argent casually steps out to view her handiwork with a particularly pleased smile. Nice. Nice. This pleases me. How do you please Victoria Argent? Vehicular homicide is what it takes. So, not only that, but you know, like her namesake, we are not amused. No, <laughs> no. Deaton helps the group form a plan. He gives ketamine to teenagers so they can <laughs> use it to slow down the canama, and it gives Styles mountain ash to make a barrier that contains supernatural creatures. It's totally fine to get ketamine from your local vet, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is where we get our antibiotics around here. I don't get why, why Deaton decides to use golf to explain this part. Styles does not look like someone who plays a lot of golf. That seems like more of a patient kind of sport thing. And he just... I no. definitely He's agree. But I love how when Deaton finishes explaining, Styles kind of does the same little motion. Like, maybe if I do the same gesture, I'll feel beliefy. <laughs> Be the spark. The yeah. hands are part of it, apparently. I don't know if that move was in the script or it's just something Dylan did on the day, but the choice to leave those little moments in, mwah, chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so good. Yeah. So people love that character so much because of those little moments. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it was not in the shooting script that I saw. There you go. Dylan O'Brien's a genius. Absolutely. Chris preps the hunters by telling them that Allison will go into the rave and alert them to Jackson's location. Once she leaves the room, Gerard reminds the hunters, this is not a mission to trap the Canima. It's a mission to kill him. I would like to say, God bless Chris Argent's V-neck. Bless it. <laughs> Spectacles, testicles, walled, and watch bless. <laughs> uh, fans are really into shipping Peter with Chris. I feel like a lot of it's just because they're both two attractions <laughs> men around the same age. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like they could be husbands and they would just share the V-necks. Yeah, I can babe, see that. Babe, where's my black V-neck? Babe, where's my black V-neck? Huh? You're wearing it. I said I was going to wear it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Peter is not going to share his wardrobe. That's true. I, I bet they have separate bathrooms too. I mean, yeah. I'm all I'm on board for this pairing, but let's let's be realistic when we put the werewolf and the hunter together because they're not sharing. That does make sense. I feel like yeah. Peter would be someone who takes like two hours to get ready in the morning. Yeah, definitely. Just be like, your hair looks exactly the same as when you first got up. What are you doing? Peter would just roll his eyes and be like, the fact that you can't tell the difference <laughs> is why I don't ever let you touch my hair even during sex. <laughs> oh, that's great. Grandpa does 
Seth is pretty stern here, but that's an awful small blade that he's trying to be intimidating with. <laughs> Though I guess it does work better than the squeegee at a gas station. <laughs> Styles is in a rush to get to the warehouse, but he passes by his father and can't help but notice that the sheriff is no longer carrying his gun or his badge. It turns out that Stalinsky was placed on leave because of the restraining order against Styles and the fact that he stole a prison transport van. This hurts my soul. It's Aww. really rough. Uh, I had actually forgot this happened, though. I guess I just blocked it out. Me too. Is. Yeah, it's one of the best scenes of the entire series. Though, to be honest, I mean, sheriffs should have probably expected this. I mean, how often has Styles shown up to a crime scene? He was there looking for the other half of a body. It was going <laughs> yeah. to get around. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, eventually, but you, you just kind of pray that, like, the school, they just clean up the mess and move on, but... <laughs> Apparently right. somebody in that town is paying attention. Only when it happens to the really rich kid. Like, okay, now. Ain't that now just the that. way? Wait, wait a minute. This involves a rich white male? <laughs> get me, get somebody on the phone. Right now. Someone is fired. Someone yes. is fired. <laughs> uh, I was thinking while watching this, though, that I really want to cross over with Veronica Mars. Mm. That exists mm. in fan fiction. Oh, I'm and sure it does. I can tell you that. Yeah. It's called Veronica Wolf. Upon arriving at the warehouse, Scott immediately abandons Styles as soon as he realizes Allison is there. Is it just me or is everyone like particularly like attractive in this episode? Well, it's Beacon Hills. Yeah, except for Matt. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't dislike the actor. I I like the actor. I just I'm not a fan of the character. <laughs> it happens. Fair. Yeah. Both Scott and Allison had a plan for the Canima, but neither told the other about the plan. Communication skills really leave something to be desired here. Scott grows frustrated and tells her to stay out of the way. I, I can't believe people paid $75 to go to this rave. It seems yeah. very underwhelming. It's the Baptist Church alternate Halloween party. Of <laughs> oh my God. Brutal. That, that's what this Brutal. rave is. That's rough. It's that generic. Yeah. <laughs> To go back to the Scott and Allison problem, I was a little, like, I was side-eyeing Scott for getting so frustrated with Allison and telling her to stay out of the way. Like, you could have told her you had a plan. That was a thing you could have done. Yep. Yeah, but then they would have had to talk instead of, like, making out during that previous scene. Look, they're not incorrect when they say that Derek sucks at communicating, and we all know that I'm a huge Derek apologist. However, they're huge hypocrites. I feel like you can tell Allison doesn't want to go on this date based off the fact that she wore this same outfit that she wore to school. She did yeah. not try at all. Yeah, this is her, uh, <laughs> I'm really not trying romper. Her, <laughs> I'm not serious about this date, cardigan. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go paint my room after this. So <laughs> Scott gives Isaac the needle to inject Jackson. He warns Isaac to be careful. And Isaac says Jackson won't be hurt by the needle. Scott corrects him, though. He is not worried about Jackson being hurt by the needle. He's worried about Isaac getting hurt. So good. So nice. Very first Isaac moment. Launching a ship there. Yeah, that wounded puppy look from Isaac officially. Officially mm -hmm. launched that ship. Yeah, yeah. that Absolutely. that look was the the wine bottle that they used to to christen its maiden voyage. <laughs> Beautiful moment. Derek and Boyd confront the Argents as they close in on the warehouse. Finally, Boyd appears. He's been gone. I feel like for a really long time. Yeah, yeah, and he's my favorite beta. What's going on here? Yeah, he, he and and look at what he look look at what the actor's doing now. I mean, his career is so huge now. Yeah, yeah. And again, Will, you weren't on the show at this point, so I can't blame you. But they abused what they had 
They didn't use what they had to its fullest potential. And I really, really, that's one criticism that I solidly throw at Team Wolf. Yeah. Could have had, could have had more Sinqua. I feel like it kind of happens when you have like so many great actors though. And a show that MTV will only let be like, what was it? 40 minutes and 30 seconds long. Like yeah. they, they just needed more screen time for everyone. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Did the hunters actually have to shoot at Derek and Boyd here? Well, well yeah, it's more dramatic that way. You don't bring guns to a gunfight not to shoot them. <laughs> I feel like in the the scene where Derek's getting tased, he just like he just grabs the the lines and throws them away. He's basically just like jokes on you. I have a tolerance for electricity now. Aww. Thank you, Kate Argent. <laughs> <laughs> but probably accurate. Isaac and Erica begin to seduce Jackson with a dance to get him to let his guard down to inject him. But Jackson claws them both and they are warmed in a distorted voice from Jackson that he belongs to me. Isaac is able to grab the needle and inject Jackson before he reaches his target. Go to sleep, go to sleep, little Jackson. It's a forget me now. You can go blue. Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm gonna be the cannon guy again. You know, that's actually Jeff taking the needle there. Really? Yeah. Yes. Oh. Colton is deathly afraid of needles. So on the day, Jeff stepped in. And if you go frame by frame, which I did on my YouTube videos, if you go frame by frame, you can tell it's Jeff. Yeah. It's wow, Jeff's wow. ear, it's Jeff's cheek, it's Jeff's nose. I really love Jeff's commitment to how he would always like step in when needed. Oh yeah. Oh, his yeah. hand his hands holding phones are throughout this series. There could be a drinking game for watching Teen Wolf <laughs> and finding Jeff in the scene. So cool. Scott rushes out to stop the Argents from reaching Jackson, but he's stopped, quite literally, by Victoria hitting him with her car. Damn, Victoria. <laughs> the Argents are just always running Scott over. Yeah. <laughs> he really needs to learn to look both ways. <laughs> I really love the shot of Victoria getting out of the car with the moon above her. It's so cool. Edie is a very striking figure. Oh, yes. Styles runs out of mountain ash before he can finish the barrier. There are so many people inside that club, but so few cars outside. Uh, yeah, the public transportation is really big in Beacon Hills. It's very, very efficient. Tell that to the abandoned subway station. And, and Matt rode his bike to school, so yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's funny that you mentioned the bike thing because in the original script, there's actually a cut scene that had, I think Allison actually driving them. So Allison's car slides into a space outside the warehouse. She and Matt step out while other cars drift in. Sorry, I couldn't drive. He says, my dad usually lends me the car. And she says, no problem. I'm used to it. I mean, I was. Matt says, you mean Scott? <laughs> As in, I know he's a broke bitch. He doesn't have a car. <laughs> but then, yeah, that got for time i guess yeah he tries to call scott but scott doesn't pick up styles remembers that deaton told him he needed to be the spark and it's all about force of will i do feel like the bumper sticker that inspires him the whole imagination is more important than knowledge really fits professor harris no it does not i think it was a prank somebody stuck it on there as a prank <laughs> I kind of like that, but then he didn't want to take yeah. it off because he was worried about like, you know, the glue being on it and stuff. And it was just like, uh. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that makes sense to me. There's a lot of hand porn for styles on the internet. Uh, people are really into his arm and hand veins. And this scene is very popular where it's close up of his hand. Oh, Tumblr. Styles closes his eyes and he's able to complete the circle of Mount Nash. I love how excited he gets when he finishes the circle. The jumping on the car. Oh, so good. So oh, good. yeah, it's so, and then the alarm goes off. It's yes. so darling. So good. It's good. 
Meanwhile, Scott wakes up to Victoria turning on a vaporizer loaded with a deadly strain of wolfsbane. She takes a moment to comment on how pot used to be rolled up and smoked, but these days, it seems like kids all get free vaporizers with their medical marijuana cards. Millennials. <laughs> yeah. I love how Victoria set up the lights for this, though. She really wanted to make sure that Scott's death was well lit for her enjoyment. Yes, <laughs> yes. As we age, the eyes are the first to go. <laughs> <laughs> Styles joins Erica and Isaac in a back room where they have half lizard Jackson knocked out. Isaac flicks out his claws, ready to give Jackson a rude awakening, but Jackson strikes first, seeming to be in a trance. Styles is so the pack mom in this scene. There's so much to love about this scene because you have, you know, four great actors in that room. I, I can't pick just one thing to be love, love, in love with, but Styles taking charge the way he did, I just love that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, there are a lot of gift sets of this scene that are all about how he is the pack mom. Victoria explains that Scott's death will look like a severe asthma attack. She's planned this out. Scott's pointy little ears, though. His little pointy ears. They're really cute. Allison and Matt decide to move closer to the DJ. Yeah, neither of them look like they're having fun. Oh, God. <laughs> because it's, it's a terrible just, rape. It is so awkward, and it's not awkward in a cute way. It's just, <laughs> just awkward. awkward. Yeah. This is incredibly accurate to like high school first dates though. Oh my God. Yeah. As if it weren't awkward enough already, they run into Harris and his <laughs> very young looking date whom he specifies is 21. He really wants to be hip and cool. He broke out the contacts for this one. Oh, yeah, God. the fact that he felt the need to provide her age exemplifies the issue. Come on, man, you're a teacher. Matt gets Allison to admit she isn't having a good time. She asks if he's ever felt like he had good intentions but kept making mistakes. Matt jokes that unlike the rest of humanity, he's perfect. Then he leans in to kiss her, but she pulls away. Okay. Yeah. Ouch. Ugh. Why is this a situation where he felt the need to kiss her? Like, you're not having a good time, are you? No, my life is in shambles. Let me press my face to your face. Oh, it's because Matt is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the only time all night she seemed like mildly like receptive to like what he's saying. So he's like, just got to go in for the kill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, I'd like to write this off as like a spectrum thing that he's just socially awkward, but he's proven time and again that he's not socially awkward. He's actually good with people in a couple of scenes. This is not the time to kiss. Right. She's no. actually saying I'm miserable and not having a good time and I've screwed something up. And can you please be sympathetic toward this? And he's like, yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ugh. Yeah, he's yeah. actually really charming in that one scene with Danny. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 He, he, he proves that he actually has the skills that would excuse that if he didn't have the, those skills that would excuse this behavior. There's nothing to excuse this behavior except that he's just off. Yeah. It's it's almost like he, you know, he says, unlike the rest of humanity, I'm perfect. And Allison has just said that thing about like having good intentions, but making mistake after mistake. And it's almost like his brain is like, I'll show you mistake. <laughs> <laughs> he learned that lesson from Styles. Let's be demonstrative. Yes. <laughs> Let's show them how this works. When Jackson gets his attack face on, Styles calls for more ketamine, but Isaac reveals that they don't have any more. 
Styles is incredulous that he used the whole bottle. Which would have been Scott because Scott actually filled it. And then in the script, it did say that whenever Scott hands it to him, he tells him to like, yeah, it's like the entire bottle. In short, it's not Isaac's fault. It's Scott's fault. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about Styles being pack mom. And I love this bit where Styles is like, ketamine, ketamine, the man needs ketamine. And Isaac is like, kind of like, trying to get his attention at his shoulder. And I, it's very Pac-Mom-ish. I just, I picture him being like a little kid, you know how a little kid will be like, mom, 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 until you answer. I feel like Isaac's like, Styles, 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 Styles. I don't have any more, I used the whole bottle. Scott said I could, and Derek also said I could. They uh, both said I could, I asked them. They said yes. Yeah, I love that in the script, it actually says Styles' hands come up to push Isaac and Erica back whenever Jackson starts to transform and is like, yeah, it's canon that he's Pac-Mom. Oh yeah, yeah. it's great. Definitely. But as far as the ketamine goes, I can tell you from rave experience, there's never enough ketamine. (laughs) (laughs) Styles makes an executive decision to evacuate himself, Isaac, and Erica. But yeah, I just love Styles and Erica and Isaac together. They're just really adorable. I really want Derek and Styles to establish Derek and Styles home for wayward omegas and they would be like pack parents and drive them around in a family size toyota (laughs) (laughs) give them little sack lunches and you know carrots i wanted ants on a log we didn't have peanut butter isaac okay it's carrots (laughs) and no you don't have a peanut allergy because it's cured when you turn into a werewolf (laughs) so stop whining you don't shut up i will turn this van right around i would watch the shit out of the wacky but heartfelt sequel show that is Derek and styles home for wayward omegas i love that you know jeff pitched a show that's that with deaton in charge that'd be cool yeah he he wanted like the whole eichenhaus orphan thing going on and it would be Deaton raising up these kids which isn't as satisfying as Derek Styles, but a little still. concerned about those children yeah <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what you need to know but trust me you're going to need to know it so right good luck, they're gonna kids. They're, they're gonna turn out like the kids from Umbrella Academy just like <laughs> you know it's not gonna work out no at least Derek and Styles would like balance each other out a little bit. True, you know? true. The murder of Kara, the ticket taker at the club, leads to partiers streaming out in a panic. Yeah, well, that was the most exciting thing to happen at that party, though. And once again, everyone's so obnoxiously dressed. Yeah, that outfit was an outfit. Yeah. <laughs> again, cable budget, wearing their own clothes. These people own this stuff. <laughs> Just the way it is. Isaac and Erica are stopped by the mountain ash barrier. They look so shocked, but this was the plan, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, let me just step into the role of the characters for a second. How many times (laughs) have they actually run into an invisible supernatural barrier? That's true. None. Accurate. Zero. Accurate. So I think some surprise is in order. Right. No, yeah, I, I, agree. I agree. I mean, we're used to it. We see it all the time. We know there are invisible barriers everywhere in the world. But these guys, they're like, what? Huh? Duh. Yeah. Duh. It's one of those in theory versus in practice things. True. Mm. So. That's true. 
I love that actually in the script, there's a slightly different exchange between Derek and Styles when Derek tells him to break the barrier. Styles says, are you kidding? It's working. For the first time ever, one of our plans is actually working. <laughs> so I just assume <laughs> Isaac and Aww. Erica just assumed this wasn't actually going to work. Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. so sad. They're sad. <laughs> and true. No, it's not true because remember, they took down an alpha with science in a bottle. That's yeah. true. Okay. Maybe he would have had to specify, this is our first plan that has worked without input from local genius Lydia Martin. That's true. Very, very true. Yeah, I missed her. Fortunately absent. Yeah. I missed her. Victoria taunts Scott for his Omega status, saying she's heard the cry of a lone wolf, and it's a miserable sound. Oh. It's sad, and you're a horrible person. <laughs> no oh. debate. No debate. She wins horrible person ever. <laughs> yeah, yes, completely. Scott weekly protests that he's not alone. Scott lets out a roar. <laughs> it's a bit pathetic. Yeah. And yet it gets the job done. Derek has got his ears on. It's yeah. true. In uh, the script, it actually had a voice over there where he hears Styles' voice telling him, do you even know why a wolf howls? And it's a signal when a wolf's alone, it howls to signal its location to the rest of the pack. From the pilot. Yeah. yeah, pilot. I thought it was a pilot, but yeah, yeah. So originally they were going to play that, but then I guess they decided not to. But yeah. I kind of like that detail. I do like that detail. That's, that's I love that. That would have been fun. Although I would have rather him heard Styles going, "No, the plan worked. Why are we breaking the barrier?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it does work. Derek hears Scott from outside and tells Styles to break the mountain ash barrier. Styles is reluctant since he was so proud of creating the barrier, but Derek convinces him, saying that he can sense that Scott is dying. I love his. Oh my God, Styles, which was not in the script. Oh. <laughs> oh, really? Oh there my no, God, that's amazing. It, he was just like, Styles, Styles, break it. But there's no, oh my God, Styles. He's like, oh my God, I just know. I love that bit. And then, so and then when Styles breaks the barrier, Derek gives a little pat on the shoulder. Like, you did a good job, Styles. Good job. I, I know it's not much of a touch, but Derek normally doesn't like to touch people or be touched, especially when it comes to humans. So it's a lot coming from him. And it was double, both hands on the shoulders. Just That's a quick. bear hug by Derek's standards. <laughs> Derek fights Victoria. He manages to drag Scott away before he dies from the wolfsbane vapor. Outside the warehouse, Allison expresses disappointment that no one's plan worked. But oddly, Gerard isn't disappointed at all. Luckily, Allison is practiced in the art of suppressing any critical response to a massive red flag. <laughs> Stalinsky shows up to the crime scene. A man at the scene asks if he should be there. Stalinsky says he just wants to know the victim's name. And when he discovers that the victim is Kara Simmons, he realizes she's not on the list of students in Mr. Harris's class. That's Jackson's dad who asked if Stalinsky should be there, right? I don't think so. I'm guessing that's supposed to be whoever took over as interim sheriff. But Jackson's dad wasn't in the episode, but we have like, he's credit, the actor's credited. And that looks like him to me. So but why why would his dad be there? That's why I'm asking. I just feel I feel like the cannon dick over here. I really feel like a total ass. He is either an ambulance chasing lawyer <laughs> or he is the district attorney, one or the other. I'm not sure which it is. He might also be the only one there who actually cares that Stalinsky showed up since he's the guy who got Stalinsky canned. True. So we have to think about him having the power to do that which makes me think he's the DA, but hmm. I don't know that for sure. You're actually right. Cause I pulled out the script and it says, when the sheriff sh shows up, it says he does not go unnoticed by the district attorney and Jackson's father, Mr. Whitmore. So you're right. 
Yeah. I learned some new canon. Yay! It surprised me, though, because it seems like in the previous scene, whenever they had the sheriff talking to Styles about the restraining order, that seems like a perfect time to mention the CA's son has a restraining order against you. Like, feels like a good time to mention that. Yeah, because yeah. he, he actually says in that scene, basically, they didn't think it was a good look for the sheriff's son to have a restraining order against him placed by the son from a very, you know, respectable family. And I was like, yeah, respectable family whose father is the DA. I just feel like that's a that's a pretty significant detail in this context. Yeah. Well, yeah. you gotta you gotta realize his privileges were running up against each other. You gotta <laughs> pick a privilege. Is it his white rich privilege? Are we gonna go with? Or are we gonna go with his station? Hmm. That's true. They went with the white rich lawyer privilege. <laughs> I guess so. That's what respectable is code for. <laughs> oh. At the animal clinic, a still recovering Derek thanks Deaton for patching up Scott. He thanks him because he was raised right. Yeah. But also poor Derek. (laughs) Our running joke on this show is that werewolves value politeness. Oh, they do. Well, yeah. Dean emerges from the back room to find Ms. Morell waiting for him. She disparages his sentimentality and asks if he's really going to leave all this up to a couple of kids. Dean protests that they're more capable than she thinks. Though, I don't know, she is her guidance counselor. (laughs) Are they? Again, I have to bring up the fact they brought down the big purple blue wolf monkey or whatever that thing was supposed to be. Again, I say Lydia and Lydia is not in the know at this part of the season. I feel like that's a really important detail. Like when things were going right, it was because there was someone there saying self-igniting Molotov cocktail. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And, And not only that, I mean, I did a whole video about how they took him down and it's like science in a bottle. She put science in a bottle yeah. and they threw it at the big bad and the big bad went whoosh. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, you can't beat Lydia when it comes to a solution. Mm. Correct. No, not at all. Which no. is why they had to take her out later in the season. They had to like put her off to the side and, and come up with equally, you know, complex ways to keep her out of the action because she would have solved it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Miss Morell then asked if Deaton is going to tell the kids what's coming. But he says they already have enough to worry about. That's not my style. You you have no idea how I communicate with these kids. I don't. He likes the element of surprise. (laughs) But he gets to look awfully cute while he's being mysterious. He does. That is true. He's got that going for him, but he's like, I just, I want to see how this plays out. He do be (laughs) mysterious and handsome. Yes. (laughs) Let's, let's give them nothing and just see what happens. <laughs> It'll be fun. Victoria runs outside into Chris's arms. He discovers that Victoria has been bitten. <gasps> Again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see her get bit, though. I guess that's an off-screen thing. Well, yeah, I feel like it would have been a slash, more likely. Yeah, I, it's because she's so much taller than, than Tyler. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why you didn't get a lot of close-up action with the fight. Oh, really? That's amazing. Yeah, a lot of it was in shadow, too. Yeah. Because they had to do that. The same thing with when Scott got bit in the pilot. They had to do quick cuts. You never actually see him get bit. Right. You just see his face, and he opens his mouth, and then you see the eyes, and it's just... So they had to do that again here because the size difference is just so... I mean, she could have picked him up and thrown him. (laughs) I would like to have seen that. (laughs) Yeah, I would kill someone I moderately liked for that one. Yeah. Well, and also in in that green dress and those shoes, I would I would pay to see her throw Derek across. I would have been amazing. In other words, Tuesday for Derek. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very weird bite to me, though, once we do see it. 
Yeah. And it, it looks like there are two bites. Yeah, it two is bite two bites. But nom nom. <laughs> Probably because he bit her and she just kept trying to stab him in the eyeballs anyway. He's like, oh my God, why wasn't one bite enough? Just get off me. <laughs> that does feel accurate. Also about Victoria that I think would be accurate is, you know, I feel like she would have pulled this on Chris before where she would have like stumbled out like she was dying for him to hold her just to see how he would react. <laughs> I'd buy that. <laughs> oh my God, so cynical. We're the very cynical people. Thick. Very cynical. I feel, I feel like Victoria, okay, I know I've already made one Arrested Development joke already <laughs> in this recording, but I feel like she would definitely be the like, and that's why we don't X with her friend who's an amputee. Just oh, like getting, right, you know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Victoria would absolutely be like, yeah, how else are you going to teach your family a valuable lesson? Yeah. If they don't think that someone's maimed or dying, How's it going to sink in? Well, <laughs> this was a great episode. Oh, yes. It's yeah, one of my favorites in season two. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot happens. There's a, a lot of canon established, which, you know, is my Viagra. Um, <laughs> I was so thrilled when you guys asked me to be on for this episode specifically because it's got everything. And it's, yeah. it's got everything. There's action. There's, there's, there's the whole you know, emotional thing. There's great styles moments. There's great um, Derek Pack moments, which we didn't get enough of. Yeah. At least we didn't get enough when he wasn't breaking something on them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just, I love this. I love everything about it. Yeah, it's a good episode. Really, really Very, good. very good. There's a couple of things I didn't cover that I just thought were kind of interesting from the script. We have a couple lines from Coach that I just, they cracked me up. Whenever he's asking if anyone knows where Jackson is, it's like, Jackson, your co-captain, nice hair, perfect cheekbones. <laughs> I mean, that's a really accurate description. Yeah. You yeah. know? And then Styles, he tells Scott, I thought you were keeping an eye on him. And Scott says, I can't watch him night and day, which I'm not sure he was really trying night or day, but yeah. And then when Styles gives his ridiculous answer to coach, coach answers, Stolinski, I really don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> we save that for later seasons, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, coach. Yeah. I love Orny. Orny's the literal so best. Yeah. He really is. And, and I don't, I don't know that Orny knows how good he is. He, he's one of those guys that, that is always kind of taking the piss against himself but yeah. he is yeah. so good he's really talented and i'm so thrilled again it's another jeff davis discovery that they found this crazy man to come in and play coach yeah it's really good yeah he is fantastic so perfect couldn't imagine anyone else in that role no also talking about pack moments uh we have during the fight it says boyd's eyes flare yellow as he launches towards a downed hunter for the kill but he's dragged back by Derek, who snaps his head around to snarl at him sending his beta scrambling back and then that's when Derek gets tased so he's actually distracted trying to prevent boyd from killing a hunter mm. but we don't actually get to see that yeah that, that's Derek's life in a nutshell yeah <laughs> well, yeah and we we won't spoil it for anybody but yeah that becomes <laughs> that becomes really important at some point yeah, yeah. um it, it again it's a sin what 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 they did with the Boyd character. It's just a sin. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know that the if you take character development, if you give character development to Boyd, you take it from Isaac. But there's got to be a balance. There's yeah. got to be. I mean, when you've got so much talent on your on your cast, that's that's the one thing that that season two really well, season three too. But season two really disappointed me was the fact that they wasted Cinqua Walls. Yeah. In that way. But you know what? He, he didn't get a lot of uh, humor either, which I thought was odd because the very first scene where he was introduced, 
he has that great deadpan humor, you know, where yeah, it was fantastic. Like, oh, have yep. you seen the piece of crap Jeep that I drive? He's like, have you seen the piece of crap bus that I ride? <laughs> yeah. Also, another thing from the script, when Victoria's killing Scott, she says, it'll be hard for your mother, I know, but I'll be sure to bring her a fruit basket or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And actually, that's really funny though, because of how we were talking about the terrifying politeness thing <laughs> that's yes. like the most terrifyingly polite thing i've ever heard like yeah i'm gonna murder you but obviously i'm gonna send your mom a fruit basket what was i raised by wolves <laughs> you know honestly i just i think they may have cut that so that they they people wouldn't hate Edie quite so much i mean yeah she can try to kill scott that's fine but talking about you know hurting mama mccall ooh, yeah <laughs> that's ooh. a cardinal sin oh yeah the cardinal sin so far, we we didn't start doing looking at scripts um, versus what was on screen till season two. But this was the episode we've covered that has the most changes. Really, they're really interesting oh, changes. Interesting. Yeah, I know Edie told me that her final speech in season one to Allison in in Allison's room, the "be quiet," mm -hmm. that whole thing was was longer. Mm. And so I just assumed that every speech that a character gives is longer at some point and then gets cut back but um probably wow yeah I, di I didn't realize they'd cut but then again this again it's a chock full episode yeah it's 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 literally got everything you could want on a team wolf episode absolutely it does except lydia martin except lydia I, martin well, yeah again but where would you put her yeah it's yeah there's, yeah, no there's a lot going on and it's also th this episode is a fascinating cluster in terms of what the characters are trying to accomplish and you know like characters not finding the best solution well lydia martin is fantastic at finding the best solution and if she were in the mix it would just be like it would uncluster itself you know? yeah so absolutely <laughs> that whole gunfight though that is that i i love that i'm sorry that could have gone on longer for me because of the because of the interaction between Boyd and Derek. So yeah, that was, that was, that. it was good character stuff. I said that was that was the last part, but there's another description I found interesting. Um, oh yeah, talking about the Boyd Derek thing. Whenever Boyd begins to back away, Derek turns around and it says he allows a flash of pain to fall over his face as Beta retreats behind him. So it like you know shows he was putting on like a brave face for Boyd and pretending he wasn't hurt until Boyd left. Oh wow, that's great. Oh. That's really. <laughs> really good uh, so you you guys haven't gotten to the point where you do synchronized oh <laughs> yeah, that is it. definitely an awe moment i mean golly that's also a little bit derek's life in a nutshell yeah, like, i was just about to say so, that there's <laughs> yes. so much like derek runs on like 60 percent shaky bravado <laughs> um so yeah there's a lot of like yeah i'm fine it's fine there's a pipe through my chest i'm fine yeah. He has no idea what's going on, though. I mean, like, to this day, people go, but Derek said that if you kill the one who bit you, you turn back. And I'm like, no, you don't. That's if you not listen, how it works. He says a lot of times, I think, or I heard, yeah. <laughs> not staying as fact. He right. does He does add some verbal disclaimers in there. Right. If you actually, yeah. upon rewatch, I definitely noticed more how much in the first season Scott would ask something and he'd be like, I don't know how to teach you. And Scott would be like, I heard you're going to teach me. I can play lacrosse. I can bang my girlfriend. That's what you said, right? Cool. Yep. And Derek's like, no, I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> there was a really cute joke that they cut from Styles, where it was just he says ketamine for the canima and then they all look at him and he says yeah that wasn't funny <laughs> <laughs> but just, i can imagine be... it in my head and it's very cute yeah there no, should be absolutely. a teen wolf like abc book like a is for <gasps> allison yeah. and argent 
K is for ketamine and canama. <laughs> That'd be Let's fun. Let's make this. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for raving. And now we're about to dive into spoilers. Not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. Think of it like gunpowder. It's just powder until a spark ignites it. You need to be that spark, Styles. If you mean light myself on fire, I don't think I'm up for that. All right, Wolfies, now we're going to jump over to our interview with David Elson, stunt performer for Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. So what was your inspiration to become a stunt person? Well, I come from a, a free-running parkour background. Um, I, I started back when I was in like late high school, college-ish, a buddy of mine. And I, this was like pre-YouTube. We just came across what's called martial art tricking. And this guy's like using martial arts and flipping around. And we just got obsessed with it and started training in the backyard. And then I kind of stepped away from the martial art part and just focused on flipping and got into free running and parkour, which then took me to LA to get into stunts. I found out about stunts and decided to move to LA and give it a shot. And then I got even more obsessed with parkour and actually ended up uh, competing in it for a couple of years. That's, That's really awesome. cool. Yeah. yeah, it's super fun. And then I came back to stunts. I got my first big job, and then that kind of took me back into stunts. Did you know people in the stunt world, like, tangentially, or were you just, like, moving to L.A. and we're making it happen? Well, I was, I was trying to figure out something to do, like, with my life. So I was going to college at the time, but I wasn't actually going to college. I was just training all day, every day. And stunts was one of the things that I just kind of randomly came across. I found, like, some demo reels of some people. Saw them doing stuff. I was like, oh, I could do that. Sure. And then uh, a friend of mine that I was training with was friends with a guy who had just moved to L.A. to get into stunts. And I talked with him on AIM Instant Messenger a little bit and then just moved and made it happen, I guess. That's fantastic. What kind of training do you have to go through to become a professional stunt performer? There's nothing, like super specific there are like some stunt schools uh like a buddy of mine actually runs this one school called a uh, spot stunt performers academy out of la and i teach a parkour section for him i'd say for like brand new people something like that is a good start it just kind of like teaches you about stunts but there really is no like criteria like like over in the uk they have like a registry and you actually have to like get passed by these different like boards you have to you have to you have to get a pass in like three or four different categories before you can actually work as stunts. And out here, there's nothing like that. But uh, everyone should train in fights. That's just like kind of like a good base of everything. You should have good air awareness. So some sort of acrobatics like gymnastics or parkour or like skateboarding or something like that is good to give you that air awareness. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. And, and then just being tough and being able to get the crap kicked out of you. <laughs> Yeah, you got to take a lot of a lot of fake punches that might be real punches. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, wow. So cool. This is a little bit of a left turn, but given that you've done stunts within both the Marvel and DC universes, I would like to present the great question of our age, Marvel or DC? I've just done a little bit of DC and a lot of Marvel, but even if I hadn't, Marvel all the way. The only answer. So, well done. Well done, sir. This whole podcast was a test. You have, you have passed. We, we will continue the interview now. Awesome. Are there any stunts you wouldn't be willing to do, like anything like involving heights or anything that you just would want to stay away from? Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard one. Like, it's really just if somebody asked me to do something that I thought I might die doing, I would say no to. But it's a good rule. Yeah. Like, something particular. Like, if I got asked to do like a horse stunt, I, I've never really ridden horses so i'd say no to that just because i don't have that skill set so i guess really just something like that 
Gotcha. Just, yeah, it's, it's really like situation to situation because also somebody could be like, hey, I just want to like slap you over the back of a horse and you fall off. I'd be like, okay. I mean, I don't ride <laughs> horses, but that sounds easy. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Have you done um, any work with decelerators? Like just that the yeah. free fall, slow down stuff? Yeah, yeah. Those things are awesome. Okay. They're, they they used to do them with, uh, it was just a big fan. Yeah. Like resistance. And so then when you fell, it just unwinded and give you resistance. And and now we have these <laughs> amazing decelerators that uh, work off like air cylinders. Okay. So uh, do you know what a ratchet is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a ratchet, and just for anybody else, it's where like you're on a wire, somebody like shoots you with a shotgun and you just go <laughs> and get flung back. And it's a pneumatic device that just <laughs> sucks a rod in and then flings you. And so we actually use a ratchet and the cylinders that fire the ratchet and basically set it up so that you free fall and then you just set where you want it to be and then you land on a cushion of air the last whatever you deem it to be so if you're falling like 100 feet you probably hit that cushion of air at like 20 feet so it'd be total total free fall and then you hit it but they can take you to the ground which is really cool that's so, incredible they're safer than <laughs> than high falls you know high falls were the thing mm-hmm. for the longest time where you just freely jump and then you land on an airbag or boxes which they still do but i just don't see much of a need for that sort of thing anymore they're just they're it's so dangerous and you need to be so highly skilled. And even if you are, it's still so dangerous because there's just so much error. Mm-hmm. And you can get just as good of a form, if not better, out of a decelerator. Yeah. That it kind of seems silly not to use one now. How did you find yourself in Beacon Hills doubling Teen Wolves? I started on season two. We have stunt coordinators. That's like who my boss would be. He's the guy who hires me. And he just like puts together and runs all the stunts, he or she. And so the stunt coordinator starting on season two was Gary Stearns. And I had just worked with him on The Amazing Spider-Man. He was the fight coordinator. So we knew each other like super well. And I made a really good double for Tyler. And he was just like, hey, you want to come out and work on this show, Teen Wolf? Which we had no idea what it was. <laughs> we were just like, sure, we'll like work with these and they'll probably cancel it. And whatever. <laughs> come out to Atlanta. I went out to Atlanta, worked season two, and then it turned into six, right? Yeah. Yeah. Five years later. How physical does the scene have to be for a stunt performer to step in instead of an actor doing it? Really depends. There's some actors that are just like literally can't walk in a straight line. And so like, (laughs) I know it sounds silly, but like sometimes you'll even just step in doubling to run something as simple as that. And there's also some actors that are amazingly physical. Like Tom Holland is insanely physical. Actually, Tyler Posey is really physical, too. So like like when we did Teen Wolf, Tyler did a lot of the fight scenes, and he would be rolling on the ground and throwing himself down, and, and he was amazing with it. So, yeah, it's it just, it, it, there's such a big spectrum. That's really cool. Did you do any of the, the quadruped running for Tyler? Yeah. Okay. yeah, I did all that stuff. Very cool. Uh, from season two, yeah. Yeah. yeah we did a few different ways. Nice. Do you have a favorite episode of Teen Wolf, either as a performer or as a viewer? I don't know which episode it is, but we did an episode where it was just like this massive Oni fight scene. It was like Onis with everybody. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which I episode. I wish I knew exactly would that be? Would that be a particular someone's death scene? Or was it the yeah. one in the snow garden? No, 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 no. It's the one that you're talking about, the, the particular the, someone's death scene. Yeah. yeah. I remember like that location super well and everything too. Yeah. Insatiable was a really incredible scene. Yeah, it was fantastic because it's like it's this big it's one big fight scene, but it's like it's like four or five little fights all happening together that all have their own choreography. And you see the stuff happening in the background for like, you know, you jump in, I think like Isaac's there fighting and then you see someone else fighting in the background behind them. So there's so much happening on all these different like kind of planes of view and all that. It's a wonderful scene. Very sad, but wonderfully executed. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, super cool, super fun. What was working on Teen Wolf like compared to other shows like, um, say, Revenge or NCIS or Supergirl? Like all those shows were just, I worked a day, a couple days, maybe a week, and Teen Wolf was the whole run of it. Mm -hmm. So as far as like a TV show goes, the difference for me was like when you work on the run of a show as like a stunt performer, like you kind of become part of the crew, part of the family. And when you work just as a day player, you're just kind of like visiting for the day and like, hey, what's up? Yeah. (laughs) But as far as like the the way the shows run i mean every show's got its own way its own thing but they're all pretty basically similar across the board there's a lot of crossover with uh teen wolf and vampire diaries fans mm-hmm. uh could you tell us a little bit about the two episodes you worked on for vampire diaries yeah um the one episode i was doubling uh i forget his name is the kid from dawson's creek he was it was the first time they were introducing werewolves like ironically ah, so, nice and, uh I think that was before I did Teen Wolf. I got called out, went out to Atlanta for like a week. And it was it was like this hybrid werewolf thing. And so he turns into it and actually did some uh, some of the loping on there. And he goes some fighting and then he dies, I think. Then the other episode, uh, the guy who normally doubles the lead on the show was busy with something. And I just got brought out for a day and I got punched in the face. <laughs> Very cool. That's so interesting. So like, you're like, I can just imagine you like flying to Atlanta and you're just chatting with the person next to you. It's like, oh, I'm going there for business. Oh, what do you do? I get punched in the face for a living. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's, nice. that's cool. <laughs> so did that mean that you were becoming the werewolf specialist and that's why you got brought on for Teen Wolf? Because they were like, this person <laughs> can play werewolf for sure. No, that, that does happen, but it was just complete coincidence. How does the stunt department work with other departments such as makeup and special effects? It would depend on the show, but like uh, like a show like Teen Wolf, it's it's very, very closely worked together Like because all the stunt people are always going to be in makeup special effects. And so we'd communicate with each other. It would be like the stunt coordinator and then the head of special uh, make special effects makeup would coordinate with each other and just be like, hey, like I got this guy, just make sure he works for you. Or, hey, I got this prosthetic, make sure it works for you. And you kind of just check in with each other. And same thing with wardrobe and hair and makeup and all that, you know, just making sure everything's going to work. Like if you're going to get hit by a car, then you don't want to be in short sleeves and, short, and shorts. So <laughs> the stunt coordinator will, will talk to wardrobe and just make sure that it's something that fills you out and you have pads under and whatnot. And maybe wardrobe has some like very specific wardrobe that like is intricate to the show. So then it'd be like, hey, this is what I have. Like, I want to let you know and make sure you can work with it. Nice. When it comes to working with the wardrobe department in advance, like when they're deciding on, I guess, like the costume for t- for a particular character, I mean, are y'all... I guess like the our stunt performers and maybe stunt coordinator like they're in that process of figuring out the costumes to be like hey we're doing some wire work so we got to have something that'll work with pick points and all that so we're not destroying (laughs) these clothes or whatever yeah the the hope is that I mean it doesn't always end up working out that way but the hope is that you would know and you would say that you'd be like hey you know we're doing wires and we cut holes like you probably want doubles or triples gotcha okay what kind of steps did Teen Wolf take to protect the stunt doubles and make sure everything was safe. So a lot of that's like on the stunt coordinator and we would just make sure we had a big array of pads to use whenever we could. You know, same sort of thing like wardrobe, making sure that you can hide pads underneath the clothes when you need to. Um, rehearsals, we would do rehearsals when we needed for, for different scenes just to make sure that we could do it to the best and make sure it was safe. A lot of that sort of stuff. Like I say, uh, Jeff Davis was really awesome. Like uh, he provided me when I was doing the Canama with a cooling suit that I could wear underneath it because it yeah. was just so insanely hot. Eric told us a little bit about, uh, yeah. yeah, that story. <laughs> there was a little bit of a malfunction with it, he said at one point. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was super cool. It was like this like vest that pumped cold water. But yeah, I'm sure Eric told you about how it sprung a leak, and I was just like, ah, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so outside of it being incredibly hot, what was it like to wear the Canada costume? Miserable, but. <laughs> The character was cool, and it was really fun being the character. It took five hours to get into it. And press oh, my that gosh. Wow. And it's just glue on your entire face, on your entire neck. And then you just have this thing glued to you. So anytime you move in any direction, it just pulls somewhere really uncomfortably. And then they had to, like, put in the teeth. And they had to, like, squirt this black stuff in my mouth all the time just to fight oh. for the look. And it was probably the most miserable thing I've worn. But it was really cool. <laughs> like, like I remember once they, they got me all in it five hours to get in and we like finally finished and like literally the second we finished somebody came in and was like hey they cut the scene or they moved the scene so we're gonna wrap you and oh I was my like, ah, 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 ah. no 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 <laughs> oh, no I'm gonna go mess with people I just spent five hours getting in this thing and then uh I think the first thing I did was I had a PA go tell a Tyler Posey that they needed him on set and I hid underneath his trailer and so then they pulled him out to set and I just jumped out at him and <laughs> he jumped like 10 feet into another trailer that's, <laughs> that's awesome that is oh, awesome that's so good him and I were tight so it was like okay to do that nice. <laughs> oh that's fantastic that's fantastic yeah you've been you went through the whole process it's not like well just get me out of it I guess and we'll go home and- <laughs> you earned at least a prank for yeah. yes. for five hours at least absolutely did, did he ever get you back for that one no i don't think so Aww. <laughs> <He should've. laughs> nice how are you with live casting uh are you claustrophobic and stuff like that or are you you know Actually, easy breezy i've never been live casted so like the reason i was doing canima was i was i was out there doubling tyler right and, and uh colton yeah yeah colton he was allergic to the prosthetics so oh, he no. just couldn't wear it they, oh, they wow. put it on him and he just crazy rashes so i was already out there and they were like uh okay uh you're gonna be the cannibal now and so then they put me in it but uh they already had all the prosthetics made everything so i just wore his prosthetics nice so it was made for his face yeah so you're just pulling a hannibal lecter on it just like putting colton <laughs> haynes's face over your yeah. face pretty much cool. yeah <laughs> season two you doubled for tyler posey which uh you did for the remainder of this series and you played the camera can you talk us through kind of like the you know what those two jobs were like i mean they're both stunts but they were very different characters like in stunts whether you're doubling somebody or playing someone or playing yourself or whatever you know there is still like a character to it so there's just figuring out moving differently how the camera would move and how the camera would fight and figuring out how uh, Scott Tyler's character would move and fight and just kind of separately planning those two out and just treating it as like almost two it was almost two separate jobs right is what it felt like did you ever have to do both in the same day you know sometimes we would have to have somebody else double Tyler so that I could be the Canima I did once double since season two I doubled like a lot of people because Atlanta wasn't very built up yet mm-hmm. so I ended up doubling a lot of characters at some point and there was one scene where I doubled I think I doubled Tyler first like running and jumping over a fence and then I doubled Tyler Hecklin following him over the fence. It was like, <laughs> Very it was cool. Nuts, so those are two separate scenes. That's awesome. That's, that's so cool. I have to keep an eye out for that. That's, that's cool. Did you get to keep any props from the show? I have. I mean, I stole it, but I have. Uh, <laughs> that's how one gets props, it seems like. So yes. <laughs> there, was, there was one scene where Tyler, I forget what season it was, but he like punches through this wall. 
and saved somebody. He, did a lot he, of stuff he, like he was that. at least saving people. So yeah, I think probably. It was deep. Yeah. But the wall was like really cool. It's made out of this like cool, like rubbery stuff, and it just like broke into pieces. I grabbed one of those pieces, so I've got that. Nice. And then uh, Eric and the guys, they gave me one of the Katama faces. They actually put it on like one of the styrofoam heads for me. And I have that in like a box. Awesome. Oh, that's so cool. They gave me the teeth too. I forgot about that. That's I'm awesome. Totally done with it. Oh, that's so cool. Is that, do you use the teeth for like a cheap Halloween costume? Just like pop in the Katama <laughs> teeth? Done. Not yeah. for Halloween, but just sometimes around the house. I just kind of feel like, you know, being Even better. Yeah, I'll squirt black stuff in my mouth. Yeah. Rub all on my face. What was the black stuff? Because uh, he had like, like what was it in the show or what was it like actually? No, what was it actually like? What they used was it like some sort of? Was it? I, Eric, you know, tell you, I'm not really sure. I'm nothing bad. Did they warn you not to swallow it. <laughs> or was it no, like if you swallow it, you'd be fine. I mean, okay. <laughs> rather not, but it was sure. something along the lines of what fake blood is. I'm, I'm sure. Oh, okay. But like much thinner. Nice. It was supposed to be like his venom, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very gross, but looked, awesome. Yeah, looked yeah. amazing. I, I had this one scene. I felt so bad for Crystal, where she was like hallucinating. So she was hallucinating, like making out with the Kanama. And so oh. I'm like in the Kanama with my teeth, with that black, like squirted a ton of black stuff in me, just kind of like teething her face and just drooling <laughs> on her. And like every after every cut, I just be like, I'm so sorry. This is so <laughs> sorry. She's like, no, 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 it's fine. The trials and tribulations of making a supernatural teen show. <laughs> Truly dedicated to the craft there. So you're credited as stunt coordinator for season five, episode 17, A Credible Threat. What does that entail? Um, so that was the coordinator, Gary, was, I forget what, he was busy with something. So he had me come fill in for him. Um, so he had already put everything together for the scene. It was pretty simple. So anyways, there, there was a couple of people already hired. I came in, my leg was actually broken at the time, and uh, just set up some mats and kind of helped them set up. I think somebody was jumping off of a bus and then somebody else was like jumping off the side of the bus. Kind of all I remember of it. But, it's yeah. a lot of bus-related activity <laughs> yeah, on bus Teen related Wolf. Stuff. Yeah, so. bus-related so, acrobats. Acrobatics. You, you, need someone, you need someone there to be in charge of the safety. You need supervise. To, like, put the stunt, yeah, supervise the stunts. And so since he was busy and my leg was apparently broken, it's like, yeah, you go do it. Well, you could put that on your resume, right? Like, I'm so good at being a stunt coordinator. I did it with one leg broken. <laughs> totally. Could do it backwards and in heels. What was your most challenging stunt to do on Teen Wolf? One that was, we used an air ramp. So it's it's a pneumatic device. And it's this, like, it's this platform. It's, it's like this. And you run up and you step on it. And it triggers the pneumatics and launches you. And so wow. we did one stunt. This was actually, uh, there's a few that are up in the air for it. So we did one stunt the first time with an ARM, and it was when they first uh, introduced the coyote. Malia? Yeah. And so there was a car flipped over in a ditch, like, lengthways. Mm-hmm. And so I was doubling Scott and ran out and hit the ARM and just launched and cleared the entire car and then <sighs> landed in a wolf pose on the other side. It ended up being, like, 20-something feet. Wow. And it's I, I can go that far in an ARM. But the, like, the tricky thing is that I have a, a car flipped up on, upside down underneath me. So if I come up short at all or anything like that, like I'm stepping into the underside of a car, I'm just going to break the crap out of my legs. Yeah. So like we threw mats over top of it, practiced it, got, got it good, and was, we were okay. And we went to film it, and we took the mats away. And uh, air rooms are really dangerous, and they're really like tricky. And so on the very first one, I was just the tiniest bit hesitant. And so when I stepped on the air ramp, I just held back. A teeny teeny tiny bit just enough that in the air 
and there's nothing you can do once you're in the air. My hips just started kind of coming out from underneath me. So I'm just like, I step on it and I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, uh -uh, no, 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 no. And then I just barely cleared the car Ooh. and landed on my back. Ooh. I think I knocked the wind out of me like briefly for a second. It was like, okay, not going to do that again. And then we were fine <laughs> after that. That sounds rough. Oh yeah. my God. So when it comes to like, like, I guess, practicing that the air end, j jumping over the the van. Are y'all like, are you doing it once and then realizing that, okay, we need to pull the air end back like a couple of feet. So you're like getting right where you need to be each time or is it? Um, you, you dial it with pressure. Okay. So okay. Got it. If I'm, not, if I'm not clearing far enough, like we know where we want to jump from. You don't really Okay. So got you just it. Up the pressure or lower the pressure. Got it. Very cool. You just, you just have to be super careful with them because if you do too much pressure and my body can't handle it, I'll just buckle. And then I'll just, the air will smash me and you'll just get like, you'll just break horribly. They're, they're, they're really cool. They have really cool like applications like that. They're really fun, but they're insanely dangerous. And it's easy to like, like people will see it and be like, oh, that's cool. Like, I want to do that. Like, no, you don't. You really don't. <laughs> oh my God. So fascinating and also terrifying to learn about the behind the scenes stunts. Yeah. Wow. And those things were like the bread and butter, I feel like, of stuntmen in the 80s and 90s. Because anytime yeah. there's an explosion, 10 people are being air rammed all over the place. Yeah. It, it's funny because they were huge and then they just completely died out and like nobody uses them. And then we did that one stunt on Team Wolf with it and they were like, that was awesome. So we ended up using it like five or six more times. Yeah. I could see how like wire work might replace that where you've just got a couple of guys, you know, pulling you and that's giving you the jump, you know, yeah. um, like it's more moving parts, I guess, but it's not like, well, if you hesitate, your leg breaks or it's, something, it's more, you know, so. Yeah, it's more repetitive. Um, I do think for something like that, like you can make it look amazing with wires. It's harder to look as good as an ARM, but you can do it. Yeah. And, and it's a lot safer and you can go further. When you get a new script, be it for Teen Wolf or another show, what are you looking for as a stunt performer like when you're kind of reading the like when you get an episode when you got the next script for an episode of teen wolf what's your process i guess after that point well, as a stuntman you typically don't get a script okay so the stunt coordinator would get the script um the stunt coordinator just reads through it and, and breaks it down and just looks for like oh like these are stunts you know i would need this many people it take this many days to do it i need you know, rehearsals for it possibly they figure out like what sort of adjustment it should get to budget that in and just kind of just break the whole script down according to that yeah, typically a stuntman won't get a script uh, i've been on some runs of like movies where they'll give us scripts and i don't even know if i've ever read any of them because it's just to me it's so irrelevant it's like somebody else is telling me what to do right i got you what was it like too because i know the the tail on it was cg Mm -hmm. so like was there anything special you had to do with that like because you're always because that tail is always whipping around it's always kind of like a cat tail when when like when you were just kind of like down on all fours you know it's like doing something where you have was that something you had to factor in or were you like oh don't worry about that special effects is gonna take that i actually spent like a month or two training twerking <laughs> <laughs> i almost was like yeah yeah uh, <laughs> tell us more uh, please go on yes yeah, if, if uh if he like used it to to hit something You'd, I, would, I would do that motion and incorporate that but for the general gist of it now they just they did a really good job just yeah nice. it looks great the whole suit looks fantastic like just always awesome looking because it looks so it's so tactile and real it's not a, a cg creation i mean it has cg elements you know uh like the tail and some and the other things but it's like it's just when you see it on camera you're like they, that's the person 
right there in a suit looking badass in this scene in the rain you know so it's just it looks so good so good yeah, they, i mean all the departments they did such a good job with it it was, oh, yeah. it was really cool like I said, it was miserable to wear but it was really cool to like to do it looks cool yeah, yeah. were the eyes cg or were there contacts with the suit at first there were contacts there were these the big ones that they have to slide up and then down the scleroids yeah, I hated them and they were miserable and they were awful. And then finally one day, Jeff, who is like the nicest guy in the world, was like, you don't have to wear them anymore. I'll just CG it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, thank you. I, th- I think that was the consensus because the, the werewolves were also wearing the the giant contacts yeah. in season one, right, Will? And I think a little bit When of they did the yellow two. eyes and the red eyes and yeah, yeah. and no one likes them. That's no. the consensus. No, they're, oh, they're awful. <laughs> not good i couldn't do that i just i have eye issues that's why i don't wear contacts i've never worn contacts in my life because i'm just like i don't want to have to touch my eyeball yeah. with something else <laughs> so i will stick with glasses that's fine by me you worked as a double for tyler posey tyler hecklin and some other characters on teen wolf who is your favorite character to double for uh posey he, he was just he was such a great guy i always tell people that too like when they ask about like different hollywood celebrities i'm always like tyler was just one of the greatest actors I've ever worked with. He was just a guy, like a person. He didn't have like an ego and he was just super just laid back. Like I remember so many times I'd be doing a, a stunt setting to do it. And normally I would just like take my jacket off and throw it in a corner somewhere. And he would just come over and be like, I don't know, here, I'll hold it for you. And he'd jacket off doing stuff. And he was just really, really cool. So it was just really fun having that relationship with him. It's wonderful. It's always nice to hear when like the lead of a show is a good person and not yeah. letting it go to their head that i'm yeah, a celebrity yeah. <laughs> carry yeah, me around I, pas <laughs> yes i once uh i once randomly i was out in la out in uh, the valley driving to go get lunch and i see this guy running across the street to go help somebody push a car that broke down and i was just like tyler and i shouted out and it was tyler posey and I, I ran out and he had just finished helping this guy push this car across the street and just caught up with him for a minute and it was just like i mean he's, he's a big actor like people know who he is and he's just out there just randomly helping some dude like oh hey what's up bro you need help pushing your car let me help push your car and that's why like, he's just a guy he's like a good person nice that's wonderful what is it like doing stunts for a movie as opposed to a tv show is there a difference there is so typically for a movie especially nowadays like you'll have months of rehearsal so you'll plan the whole movie out ahead of time and rehearse for months you have a lot more time shooting it. Uh, usually have a lot more budget shooting it so you can go bigger and do more. Um, and on TV, you know, a lot of times you're shooting in a week, a week and a half, two, two and a half weeks. So it's not that much time. If you have rehearsal, it's usually like a day here, a day there. So you just, it's, it is quite different. TV is just more on your toes, more kind of fast paced and more almost have to be like in a weird way, more creative because you don't quite have the budget. But it's, I guess it's a different creativity because you do have the budget. You can be insanely creative on the movie and just in a different way, you have to be creative on a TV show. Gotcha. But some TV shows are becoming movies now. So it's like, it's kind of starting to blend together. Yeah. Maybe on like a, a TV show, it's with, or, or a project that has maybe a more limited budget. It's more like creative problem solving. It's like, we want to do this great stunt. We don't have months to figure it out. We can only, we have like a couple of days. Like how do we, how do we get the most awesome for our buck? type thing so yeah very nice do you have a favorite kind of stunt in general and do you have a favorite stunt uh over the course of your expansive career um yeah in general i like like real stunts 
and and uh, are just ones where you feel like a badass, I guess. Um, <laughs> nice. Like I've, I've done some stuff like from helicopters, and like you just feel like I'm not just like falling down or fighting somebody. Like I'm doing a stunt. Nice stuff like that. I'd say I think my favorite was on uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah. It was actually just a rehearsal, but uh, we were trying to to swing with a person and so i hung from a helicopter 50 feet down and then they took the helicopter up and started doing this with it to get me to, oh. get, to get us to swing so oh now we're starting to swing and then just like controlling it so tapping shooting a web tapping shooting a web and we got those swings so big and so high that eventually i remember looking at the pilot so I was up parallel with the pilot. Oh, oh my god! That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done in my life. They probably had usually when you just like that, they have like a pull cord where yeah. if you get tangled up or something like that, they let you go so that you die and nobody else does. <laughs> so probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done. But man, that was so insanely fun. Oh. I, was, I was begging to do more. Like I said, it was with another person. I think I swung three different people and then I was like going to a coordinator afterwards and I was like hey like maybe you should let me just go do it myself maybe we could like do some swings just Spider-Man like this what do you say like yeah we gotta go (laughs) that's awesome yeah that's so cool couldn't imagine seeing something like that in person let alone doing it like yeah just as a bystander i'd be like that's terrifying i hesitate on a rope swing into the lake you know (laughs) so i there's no way i could ever do something like that i'd just be like no no thanks go do anything but that please so you mentioned that there was an oni fight scene that you really enjoyed um, you're credited for working on the Oni stunts in three episodes. What w- were those kinds of scenes like? They were all just fight scenes. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun doing the Oni stuff. You know, just like doing flowers with swords and then having these like ninja samurai fights. That stuff's really fun. It looks fun when you're watching it, so. Yeah. Were, were you in the Oni costume? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Uh, Tyler like didn't have much going on and they needed another Oni. So uh, the coordinator was just like, hey, want to be an Oni? I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it, it looks like fun. There's a, a fun picture. I think I think Eric had it of like all the different villains sitting doing different things. <laughs> and I was, I was the Oni sitting on the chair like in a ninja squat. Nice. <laughs> oh my God. That's awesome. Like? So the Kanema is a really fun monster, but if you could have played any other Teen Wolf villain, which would it be? Got to do the Oni. I actually got to do Berserker when Scott turned into Berserker, which was fun. Oh, right. So that was, I would have said that, but I got to do that. Um, the Ghost Riders, I think, would have been fun. Nice. Those were cool characters. Yeah. Yeah, they are cool. Very, very cool. Would you ever want to return to the world of Beacon Hills if there was ever a reboot or uh, anything absolutely. like that? Absolutely, yeah. It was, just, it was just such a great experience. Like, the whole crew was so cool. We're all just like this big family. And you know, it's one of my favorite jobs I worked on. I, I miss it pretty often. So do the fans. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would love to do that again in a second. David, are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about? Not that I can really talk about. No. I worked on the new Spidey, but I'm not really, I can't say anything about it. Gotcha. Uh, I did Red Notice. It's a new, uh, it's with The Rock, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. It's like this oh, nice. spy action comedy movie. I think that'd be funny. That sounds awesome. I love that cast. So that sounds fun. Yeah, I got to double the rock. Oh, wow! Was it Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> no, I was actually uh, just I was rigging. I was, uh, oh, okay. oh, nice. Yeah, oh. Was. 
Oh yeah, Very cool nice. show. We, we did a bunch of fun stuff on that show. Where did that shoot? It was Atlanta. Oh, okay. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Is Atlanta turning into your second home? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be going back out there for another project in like a month or so. Nice. Very nice. We're that's very it. happy that you're working. So that's yeah, good. It's, Everybody it's, needs to be working. Yeah. It seems like the industry's really picking up. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, David, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Teen Wolf. Yeah, it's fun to be here. It's fun to reminisce. Wolfies, we had a great time talking with David Elson, but now we have to get back to spoilers. To start us off, I'd like to say I think Matt's interaction with Jackson when they are buying tickets is very strange. Well, I think it's because Matt knew that Jackson was going to be there, but he didn't actually expect to run into him. Like, I think Matt is there to, to see Aftermath, to see Kara all ripped apart, but he was expecting like Cannibal Monster to scale up the side of the building and go or to do that. He wasn't expecting Jackson just to come in and buy tickets. He was like, you're a monster, just jump through a wall. You? you know, so when he saw him, he was like, oh Jesus, the monster, I said. Uh, you know, so he was just not expecting this, so. I just feel like Jackson seemed to be like in such a trance. Like, I feel like if Matt just like stepped out of the way, he would have kept on going and not even acknowledged him. Yeah. It's Probably, but yeah, it it is kind of, I guess, Matt expected Mr. Hyde to show up and Dr. Jekyll showed up and he was like, oh shit, is that right? But then, you know, he was kind of in a trance. He was like, oh, it's fine then, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) There's also the fact that he doesn't know how this works. Matt really has no clue. Yeah. And I think up until this point, he just wished things and they came true and he never had to directly interact with, except for those, you know, touching moments in the car where he puts his hand up on the screen. He should have you know, pooped his nose. Other than those, <laughs> um, there's there's not that kind of direct communication between them. So I think seeing him in that form, I think seeing him at all, because I don't know that I don't know that Matt ever saw the Canima again after that moment until we get to Fury. Yeah, I don't it's think possible. they interacted except for outside the car those couple of times. And in the and, library, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. 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 right, right. Yeah. It, it, but see, and, and other than the library, Matt was completely safe from the Canama sure. in both of those instances. And then yeah. the library is like, wait a minute, you hurt me. That wasn't part of the plan. What is what? Huh? It's because he offered him the wrong flavor of pop chips in that scene. He was like, you want some? And he was <laughs> well, like, he like, offered no. a pop chip at all. Like, Sour well, yeah. onion. <laughs> exactly. Like, He's like, These are disgusting. That's why they, they had are. to push so hard to be like featured on so many TV shows there for yep. a while. Yeah. Yeah. No one yep. wanted them. Yeah, we got them for free and they're garbage. (laughs) I really want somebody to redo that scene where he writes on the board, next time cool ranch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That would be a cool ranch, man. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) My six-year-old nephew likes them and no one else likes cool ranch. (laughs) Do you guys think that Jackson dances with Eric and Isaac for a few minutes because he's feeling Matt's like, horniness while Matt's on a date <laughs> because otherwise I'm just not sure why he's so easily easily like distracted by like you know these two hot people dancing up on him he's a man on a mission <sighs> okay first you never say no to a threesome <laughs> ever okay ever that's a second, good rule that's a good rule second I don't think Matt is actually controlling him every second. I think he has his marching instructions and Matt maybe gets, this is a bad word, gets a tingle when he's off mission. <laughs> and that's why he stepped in with the claw, these move on. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, so and it's, 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 
the fact that he didn't, he did it half-heartedly in my mind, because Isaac was able to get up and we've yeah. seen what Canem of Venom can do. So the fact that he kind of did it half-heartedly tells me that he was really into that dance. Yeah. He was enjoying himself. Dance. I mean, I would dance. love to be the filling in that sandwich. Oh, <laughs> I could be the filling oh. and the bread. Eat, just place me in the <laughs> Either I'd position. Be, yeah. I'd be like, we, we need another take of that. I, I think, I don't think we got was, it, was it good for you because i just it was, it was like it could have been better for yeah i mean I, i'm ready to go again so isaac does the whole like flicking his claws out thing and in the scene and that's so popular on the show like so many werewolves love to do that mm. and it's very dramatic and i love it well they were taught by a hail and as we have well established <laughs> the hails have a great love of all things dramatic <laughs> so um yeah technically malia was taught by scott and styles but she is a hail so it's just no, innate it was, in, it was it's in the dna it's genetic yeah that concludes this week's episode of return to beacon hills we hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things teen wolf and a special thanks to paul ray for joining us paul where can listeners find you on the internet i am mainly at teenwolf.fandom.com that's the wiki Teen Wolf Wikia on Twitter, that's W-I-K-I-A, Teen Wolf Wiki on Instagram, and then Teen Wolf News on YouTube. And all of those, you can find our new videos about the show every week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 2, Episode 9, Party Guest. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.